0: Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God. For it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I'm excited to be with you as we continue trekking through the Book of Romans. We've been at this close to nine months now. We've been in here since October, and we are coming up on the tail end. We'll be doing all of Chapter 15 today, which sounds like a lot, but there are so many good nuggets in Chapter 15 that I've, I've been, benefited greatly from pondering this passage. And it felt like a disservice to the text to break it up. That we have laid out for us in chapter 15 this grand crescendo of the doctrine of Romans. There's this grand conclusion and this panoramic view of Christ's work of redemption. And so we're going to power through... The entire chapter, chapter 15 today, one piece at a time, and we're going to draw out the goodness of the gospel as we go. And so beginning with verse 1, we're drawing towards the closing chapters of Paul's letter to the church Rome, and he continues to address areas of housekeeping within the body, that he's been guiding them in correction, he's been admonishing them where need be, and he's been very harsh at times. We come to the first couple verses, and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So last week, we were talking through Romans 14 with the weaker brother and the stronger brother, the ones who disagree on certain non-essentials. And Paul continues that language here, and he urges the strong, that is, those who are spiritually mature, those who would be leaders within the body. To bear with the failings of the weak. And that phrase bear with is, is very unique. In Greek, failings literally means weaknesses. So he calls us to bear in the weaknesses of the weak. And not to please ourselves. He beckons the spiritually mature to serve. And to love those who are struggling and growing. But what kind of love is this? Uh, The world has many different definitions for love, and the Greeks had many as well. There were at least a half a dozen different words for love in first century Greek. And to that I direct you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Christian view of love is a love that endures through the hard things. And it is worth noting that the word love that appears in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. From the beginning of that section, love is patient. The Greek word is not phileo, which is brotherly love nor is it eros for romantic love but it is agape for divine love the love of god this is how god loves and this is the model that we ought to imitate as jesus said love each other as i have loved you and martin luther likens this view of bearing with the failings of the weak he likens it to the cross in this way. Moreover, the cross of Christ does not signify that piece of wood which Christ did bear upon his shoulders, and to the which he was afterwards nailed, but generally it signifieth all the afflictions of the faithful, whose sufferings are Christ's sufferings. 2 Corinthians 1.5 The sufferings of Christ abound in us. Again, now rejoice I in my sufferings for you, and fulfill the rest of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Colossians 1.24 The cross of Christ therefore generally signifieth all the afflictions of the church, which it suffereth for Christ, which he himself witnesseth when he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Acts 9.4 Saul did no violence to Christ, but to his church. But he that toucheth it, toucheth the apple of his eye. There is a more lively feeling in the head than in the other members of the body. And this we know by experience. For the little toe, or the least part of a man's body being hurt, the head forwith showeth itself by the countenance to feel the grief thereof. So Christ our head maketh all our afflictions his own, and suffereth also, when we suffer which are his body for us to love as God loves involves the shouldering of burdens that are not ours because we are one body one nervous system we're all connected in suffering and in prosperity so romans 15:2 says let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up Paul says it similarly in Philippians chapter 2, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Back to Romans 15. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days, meaning scripture written before now, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So when we bear each other's burdens, it serves several purposes. Are there others? Absolutely. But first and foremost, it builds up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4:29 says, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers." And number 2, it makes our sufferings Christ's. Galatians 6 is a chapter I've been meditating on this week. And there's an interesting little phrase in there that says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. But to put it in its proper context, verses 14 through 18 reads, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creature and as many as walk according to this rule peace be on them and mercy and upon the israel of god from henceforth let no man trouble me for i bear in my body the marks of the lord jesus brethren the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit amen when we suffer no matter how small it is, it becomes Christ's. For I am crucified with Christ to the world. That there is union with Christ. And part of what union with Christ includes is, is unity with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 shed some light on this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I now live, I live through Christ, through what he has wrought in me. Through the person and work of Christ, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and through my reconciliation to the Father, do I live. Not because of anything I bring to the table. I, I contribute nothing to this process, to this picture here. I don't bring... A meal to the table. But there is a place for me at this table. And the thing we call the Christian life is the outpouring of what Christ accomplished on that same cross. We are crucified with Christ and the old man, the sinful nature and the body of death, have been subdued and laid to rest. And we are raised to new life as a new creature according to the person and work of Christ. Thus, as we live, we live differently, for we are different. And this is what the book of Romans is about. New life. We are new. Praise to be God, we are new. The cross covers the penalty of sin that should have been on us, that should have been on me. For all that God is going to save, an inheritance as numerous as the stars. and Additionally, the same cross unites us to God and unites his church. We are one body, and this spills out from the gospel. As John Donne once wrote, no man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. A Couple lines down, he writes that every man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in mankind, that through Christ we are one people. We are one body with one nervous system, That we feel each other's pain. We weep with with those who weep. So, when we bear each other's burdens, it is from a place of unity. Because we are one body, with one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So let us then strive to build up this body of believers in the unity for which Christ suffered, that we may suffer with him. One of the things that union with Christ does is it imputes one of the great glorious mechanics of the gospel is this thing we call imputation this transferring of our sin to Christ's account and in in retrospect Christ's righteousness is then transferred to our account that there is a double exchange here and it's the same with suffering that Christ's suffering becomes ours because we have union with the Christ who suffered. And likewise, any minor sufferings we have, as little as they may seem, they become Christ's because I am united with Christ. And this is part of this grand picture that God has been drawing for thousands of years of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation being united with him. So Paul goes on to verse 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the uncircumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, all Gentiles, with his people. about the Gentiles being brought into the promises of God. That the gospel is for the Gentiles too. The Old Testament promised that the eunuchs and other Gentiles would be brought into the temple and worship with the Jews. And this is something that was often glossed over um, in the days of the Pharisees. But the Gentiles do have a place in God's work of redemption. Consider the example of Philip in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, picking up in verse 30, So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer silent. So he opens not his mouth, In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So eunuchs, that's that's an Old Testament idea that we don't always talk about these days, but simply put a eunuch was a male prostitute of the pagan temples that they were emasculated and they were they were simply put they were trafficked by pagan cults it was the kind of story that a lot of jews would have looked at in the old testament days and kept away from that this this is these are damaged goods But it says time and time again in the Old Testament that the eunuchs will be grafted into this covenant. And I would like to imagine, and I do very often, that when Philip is going through Isaiah 53 with the Ethiopian eunuch, that he turned the page and read him Isaiah 56 about the eunuchs entering the assembly of God. As it is written, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Zechariah 14 says, And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, The camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. The prophets were very clear that the outsiders would not remain outsiders. That through the gospel... They are brought in; that there is a place for us all at His table, if we come to Christ with faith and repentance. So back to Romans 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is, the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That Christ came and served the Jews to, as a proof of what was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. We are a body composed of Jews who profess Christ and Gentiles who are grafted into the mercies of God. And we bear one another's burdens as the united Israel of God. We bear each other's burdens just as Christ bore ours. 1 Peter 2.24 is a beautiful picture of this. And he writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Ephesians 2 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, ...called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel... ...and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is our story. I am a Gentile. There's a very safe assumption that you are too. And we were far off from the covenant of Christ's blood. From the the goodness of God, from the mercy of God. But Christ has brought us near through the sacrifice of himself, that he gave himself for us. And the Jew-Gentile debate, which is far more volatile than any nationality debate now is bridged by the cross. And we will be one people through the church. Romans um, Back to Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul here commends the church in Rome for growth. They are maturing and able to instruct one another in truth. The church is an institution of God, but it's also an organism. It grows, it flourishes, it learns, it develops, and it prays God in the midst of that. He has had to correct, as he said, but he reminds them, and us, of this grace that has been bestowed in order that they and us might be ministers of such priestly grace. I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We are to yearn for the further realization of the gospel and its bearing on every area of life. That us Gentiles offer our lives to God as people being sanctified by his Holy Spirit. Psalm 51 tells us, Thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. The right acceptable offering to God is a heart that knows its corruption and comes to God with nothing seeking him alone. We have no righteousness but God provides it and he clothes us as his priests who are not worthy to be so but we are made so by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So verse 17 In Christ Jesus then I have reason. To be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. This can seem a little confusing at first. Paul has elsewhere talked of boasting only in Christ. So how does he take pride in his work? And simply put, because his work is Christ. Paul's work had Christ as its centerpiece. Thus, Paul could be proud of his work for God because his work was simply to put Christ on display. Back to Galatians 6. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let us strive for what is good. Martin Luther was a, um, was a pinnacle role in the reclamation of the true gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But he didn't always see things that way. For a long time, he saw God as this immortal judge with impossibly high standards. And there came a time as he was studying theology in a monastery that he was asked if he loved God. And he responded, love God, I hate him. But he was radically transformed by the grace of God and by this realization that the righteousness that, that by which we live through faith is not a righteousness that we have, it is a righteousness that God provides. That God makes us righteous, so that by faith, those he makes righteous shall live. And it transformed his entire outlook on God, the Bible, and the Gospel. And And he comments on these verses in Galatians. And he writes, Therefore, he does not only exhort us to do good, but also not to be weary in doing good, and to persuade us the more easily thereto. He added for in due time we shall reap without weariness as if he said wait and look for the perpetual harvest that is to come and then shall no ingratitude or perverse dealing of men be able to pluck you from well-doing for in the harvest time ye shall receive most plentiful increase and fruit of your seed thus with sweet words he exhorteth the faithful to the doing of good works. Let us likewise work fervently for the kingdom of God in such a way that our work is centered around Christ, the one in whom we boast and take pleasure. We have no other worldly pursuit. Poet George MacDonald sums it up in this way. That man is perfect in faith, who can come to God in the utter dearth of his feelings and desires, without a glow or an aspiration with the weight of low thoughts, failures, neglects, and wandering forgetfulness, and say to him, Thou art my refuge. That the the state of perfection in faith, as MacDonald says, is the, the ability to come to God when you have nothing. To come to God when you have every reason not to. When the weight of your own sinfulness and inability to follow through comes crush, crashing down on you, and yet you still look to the the heavens. And say, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My heart and my flesh faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever, as Psalm seventy-three tells us. And it is important that we keep this mindset of suffering of. Of work of striving for things to come because our sufferings are Christ's because we are united to Christ and the sufferings of Christ are bearing fruit and such will ours if they come from a sincere heart and a contrite spirit and in this work it is important as Paul says to branch out rather than ministering on top of one another, Paul went out where the gospel had not yet been preached. He says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem." For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul invites the Christians in Rome to bear with his burdens as he tries to go to Spain, to preach the gospel there. The advance of the gospel into sometimes remote or hazardous places can be a burden or an example of sufferings that are made to be Christ's. And Paul understood this and was willing to go the distance for the gospel. To also go to Jerusalem where he was not particularly welcome. But he also knew that he needed the body of Christ. That he was not a lone ranger in this endeavor. And so he writes to Rome asking them to partner with him and co-labor for the kingdom of god as it says in amos can two walk together except they be agreed we don't know for sure if paul in fact made it to spain scholars are divided on the point saint clement wrote in one of his epistles that paul did make it to spain and um, embarked on several more missionary journeys in addition to the three we read of in the new testament However, when Paul did come to Rome, he did so in chains. He was imprisoned in Rome, and much of his letters were written while imprisoned in Rome. Yet Christ in the glorious gospel that was revealed through the Son, Paul boasted only in the cross. And his joy was made complete in the advance of the gospel through the labors of the church. As it says in Philippians 2, to complete my joy. By what? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. The book of Philippians is widely considered to be the happiest book, the most encouraging book, the most joyful book of the New Testament. But when Paul writes it, he is in prison. A sure testament that our joy is not determined by our circumstances, but by our Christ. When we boast only in the cross christ is our joy as charles spurgeon once put it you will never glory in christ until you cease glorying in yourself so paul closes out romans 15 with i appeal to you brothers by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to god on my behalf that i may be be delivered from the unbelievers in judea and that my service for jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And as we close out chapter 15, Paul invites the believers in Rome to join him in prayer for the work of God that God has laid before him. It is not easy, but his joy is Christ. His boasting is Christ. And his sufferings are Christ's, who is Paul's life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because of our union with Christ, Christ is our life. Our boasting, the one for whom we suffer, and our joy. May we, we be ever reminded of this joy and strive to work fervently for the kingdom of God knowing that our sufferings become the sufferings of Christ, and a testament to our union with the One whom our souls love, the One who has given Himself as a ransom for us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God, and that He has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with Himself if you want to hear more from bread of the word feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom get notified about new content whenever we go live Um, you can also watch us on rumble video and youtube or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms Um, you can also find us on social media you want to follow us on facebook twitter or gab links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out and there will also be a message in the comment section Um, A free gospel message for download entitled the two J's the joy of the Potter and the journey of the clay That's something that I've written That's something God laid on me to write and then send out and so I'm not making anything off of it I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world in our culture and it starts right here Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4